You know, it's, it has really been on my heart the last few days thinking about a conversation I had with Bishop Howard. And it's been now, it's been probably uh, two years ago that I had a conversation with Bishop Howard about the work in Africa. And I, I told him, I said, I don't, I can't explain this. I don't have a, uh, any reason behind it, but I just feel like that right now I have a window of opportunity. It's about to close. And I've got to do my best to, uh, to do everything I can while this window of opportunity is open. Now, little did I know that within a matter of months, the whole world was going to be shut down. I didn't know that, but God, God, and uh, and I'm glad for the efforts we put forth. I'm glad for the things that we accomplished. And we don't know, you know, God may again grant us another window of opportunity somewhere along the way. And I pray that he does. But I am thankful for uh, the fact that he put that on my heart before it ever happened. And and that I was able then to put forth some effort and to do something to try uh, to, to make the most of the time that was presented to me. Now, I said all that to say, church, I feel like we have a window of opportunity. I feel like this window is going to close. Are you hearing me? I don't know when, I didn't know when, when God put it on my heart for Africa, but I'm feeling it, that there, it, that there is a window of opportunity that we need to avail ourselves of right now and not let this opportunity slip through our fingers. We need to, for the next little bit, we need to do more than we've ever done we got to work while it's day because I promise you night's coming. I promise you night is coming. And the more I say it, the stronger I feel it. The sun is setting and we've got to get busy and do what we can do right now. Well, praise God. And this is why there are things that I just want to become a habit for you. We've got to put forth the effort and start doing this on a habitual basis because I don't know when the time's going to come that we can't do it. So we got to, we can't hit and miss. We've got, we got to get in there and give it everything we've got right now. Well, praise God. I'm just telling you what I feel. Just telling you what I feel. And uh, God sure didn't miss it the last time he put this on my heart. And I don't believe he's going to miss it. I don't believe I'm missing it. I'm telling you. Uh, I don't know how long this would be. So I think about a year uh, in Africa. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be. I don't know if it'll be five years. I don't know. All I know is I feel like the window's going to close. Uh, things are going to be different. And, and we think it's difficult now to do a lot of outreach. I'm telling you, I'm telling you when this window closes, when this window closes, what we are doing now is going to seem easy. It's going to seem easy. And so we really need to do our best. Push yourself, push yourself. Don't, don't give yourself excuses. Well, I, I'm preaching now. I know you're waiting on me to take my text, but I'm preaching to you now. Don't, don't excuse yourself as I'm too shy, too bashful. We said it the other day. I say again, there's something you can do. Get with Brother Goff. He's got a list of 50 names somewhere right around 50 names that you can just write a letter to but there's something that you can do 
don't sit around right now in the evening time just as the sun is getting ready to set and not do anything. Find some way to reach out. Some way to reach out. And, and, and do, it. do it. I heard someone today quoting Hudson Taylor. Uh, he was a missionary in China many, many years ago. He made a statement. He said, uh, he said, the will of God is accomplished through three parts. I looked this up to make sure. I'm not quoting him, but I'm giving you the gist of what he said. He said, he said the will of God is accomplished in three parts. He said, first of all, it's impossible. And then he said, the second step goes from impossible to difficult. And he said the third step, it's done. Impossible to difficult to done. So I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, this is the will of God for us right now. And, and you may look at circumstance and you may look at your own inadequacies and say it's impossible. And I will tell you, keep pressing. And one day you're going to look around and say, well, it's not impossible. It is difficult. It's not impossible. And you keep pushing. And one day you're going to look around and say, it's done. With God's help, I did it. Oh, hallelujah. I hope somebody's hearing me tonight. I hope somebody's hearing me tonight. There is such great potential awaiting us. So many great promises God has made us. And I believe that the fulfillment of those promises to a great degree rest in our hands. Did you hear what I said? I believe that the fulfillment of those promises to a great degree rests in our hands, not in God's. I believe God's ready to do it. I believe God's ready to do it. It's just up to us. Let's do our part. Let's do our part. Let's do our part. Praise God. Amen. I want us to get under a real burden for the lost in this city. I want us to pray. I want us praying, asking God to lead us. Listen to me, listen to me. There are specific instances in the scripture where key individuals are saved. And I don't find that these key individuals were saved because somebody was blitzing a neighborhood door knocking or handing out flyers but with these key individuals what was going on they were praying they were trying to do what was right God was dealing with their heart and then God dealt with a man and then God brought their paths together and it wasn't hit and miss well hallelujah Philip knew exactly where to go to find that chariot where a man just happened to be reading the scriptures and struggling to understand it. God directed him to the very spot that he needed to be. God told Ananias, there's a man by the name of Saul, you're going to pray for him. I'm going to use them. And God put them together. A man by the name of Cornelius, an angel went to visit him and said, I'm going to tell you who you need to talk to. And while the angel's talking to Cornelius, saying, go find Peter, God's talking to Peter. 
saying somebody's about to come knock on your door. And God put them together. Well, I'm just talking to you from my heart tonight. I, I, I don't know. I, I came to the church this morning to pray. And heavy, heavy burden for the city settled on me again. And uh, I just, I just believe, I believe that there are people out there right now that are crying, that are searching, that are trying to find something that's real. They know that what they've got is not sufficient. They know that. They're convinced of that. They've been told all their life they're saved, but there's something down inside that's missing, and they know it. Oh, I feel this tonight. It's not my notes. It's not my lesson. But I feel what I'm saying to you right now. There is a city that's waiting on us. It's waiting on us. It's waiting on us. Hallelujah. The city's waiting on us. We just got to get in tune with the Holy Ghost. We've just got to be able to hear the voice of God and let God direct us to those that are hungry. God never wastes his time. God never wastes his time. He went, he went a direction that his disciples never expected him to go. looked at them and said, I must needs go through Samaria. Samaria? Really, Lord? Of all places, Samaria? And, and it, if, if you read the story, he said that as they were having tremendous revival. In fact, he was, the Bible says he was baptizing more than John the Baptist had read about the crowds that came out to hear John the Baptist. Jesus was having bigger crowds at that moment where he was than John. And all of a sudden, he shut it all down. And he said, I got to go somewhere. Where are we going, Lord? Must be a big revival if you go shut this one down to go somewhere else. Yeah, it's a big revival, all right. It's one woman that nobody else wants to talk to. That's where we're headed. So we're going to go. And I got a feeling that he knew their prejudice. And that's why when they got to the well, he, he just sat down. And he told them, go into the city and buy some food. That's not where they wanted to go. They had plenty of opportunity before they ever got to Samaria to stop and buy food. Jesus waited until they got to the very place they didn't want to be and then told them to go talk to people they didn't want to talk to and give their money to people they didn't want to give their money to. Sit down. I'm preaching right now. L listen to me. Listen to me. He, he told them to go into the city and buy food. I wonder, Brother Nelson, I wonder, I wonder. And I may get back to my notes in a minute. But, but, but uh, thank you, Sister Goff. I'm going to just do what I feel right now. Listen, I, I, I wonder, I wonder, Brother Nelson. He sent 12 disciples into the city to buy food. 12 of them. I wonder how many of them walked in to that butcher shop or whatever it was and didn't even want to look eyeball to eyeball with the Samaritan standing behind the counter because they're so prejudiced. They didn't want to carry on a conversation. And isn't that what the woman said? said, how is this that you being a Jew would talk to me? This was uncommon for Jews to talk to Samaritans. Listen to me, those disciples may have been disciples of the Lord, but they didn't want to talk to those Samaritans. 
that the Lord told them to. I don't know what they did. I, I, I don't know. It's just my imagination, but I got a feeling they didn't want to talk to the shop owners. That baker, you know, I can just see them walking up to his cart or whatever he's got and them just pointing at a loaf and turning their head and pointing at a loaf, laying their money on the counter and getting their bread and walking out. That's Look, that's not, that's not um, unreasonable to think they did that. That's the way the Jews did, Samaritans, and vice versa. They didn't care for one another at all, and that's putting it mildly. And uh, so here they go into the city, and, and evidently they obeyed the Lord in buying food, but they missed the real purpose for being there. Because I'm telling you, he was going to have revival in Sychar. That's why he was there, was to have revival in Sychar. And he sent them down there, but not one of them had a burden for those Samaritans. Not one of them cared about trying to reach the Samaritans. Now remember, these are guys that just walked away from a red-hot revival. You know, you know how it is. You've been in red-hot revivals, man. You're about ready to talk to anybody. But these guys, the disciples of the Lord, went into this city and evidently just did what they had to do and came back out. Didn't try to reach anybody didn't try to convert anybody, didn't try to convince anybody, just go in there and be rude. Well, that's the truth. They went in there with their nose in the air, and they were just rude. And they threw their money down, and they grabbed the things they bought, and they started back to that well, wondering why in the world Jesus made them do what they just did. And while they're gone, you know the story. He's talking to this woman. And they're having a conversation. And he's changing her mind about some things. Because he's not approaching it the way she expected a Jew to approach it. Hallelujah. And she's got her arguments all built up. She's She's ready try to defend her way of life. But Jesus doesn't start out. Now look, you know, one of the reasons why the Jews hated the Samaritans so much is because those Samaritans, for the most part, had Jewish blood in them. But they had kind of corrupted the whole Jewish religion. They'd, they'd, they'd adopted their own form of it. And uh, they didn't want to go by the things that were in the law. They had their own law. They had, had their own way of worshiping their God. And the Jews resented it and hated it and uh, looked down on them really as being worse than Gentiles, which was pretty bad. Because they considered the Gentiles dogs. But the Samaritans were even worse. And so, this woman talking to this unknown Jew at the well, and she's not expecting anything to come out of his mouth. And if anything does, it's probably going to be scorn or disdain. You know, she's probably bracing herself for a, a, a sermon about where you're supposed to worship because that's sure what she brought up. Are you hearing me tonight? So she's already, they've been through, she's had these debates before. She's listened to others. They've gone round and round about what's right. Where's the right place to worship? 
she's been round and round or at least heard somebody else, maybe one of her many husbands, have these debates. And she's ready and she's braced for it. And instead Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And that caught her off guard. His whole approach was different than what she was expecting. And it caught, I hope you're hearing what I'm telling you. She didn't walk in there and start a debate. I mean, he didn't walk in there, start a debate. He didn't go in there and say, you're going to hell. He, they're standing at a well. And so what are you going to talk about at a well? He doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have any way to draw. She does. So he says, you know, I'm thirsty. Well, that caught her off guard. She, she was thrown back by that. This is John chapter 4 in case you don't know. And, and rather than say yay or nay, she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is it that you, being a Jew, would ask me for something? She said, the Jews don't deal with the Samaritans. And Jesus looked at her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's talking to you, you would have asked me for something to drink. Now that really blew her mind. I mean, that really threw her for a loop. Because again, he's got no bucket. And she's trying to add all this up in her mind. Number one, he shouldn't be talking to her at all. Number two, he offers her something that he obviously has no way of providing. And she's probably thinking, Brother Hilton, she's probably thinking, why is he pulling my chain like this? Or what's, what's the word? Why is he trolling me? What's, what, what is he trying to prove here? Saying he's going to give me water when he's not even got a bucket. And so that's her response, sir. You don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep. How are you going to get any water? And then she starts the debate that she was probably braced, expecting him to start. Because next thing she says is, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? You don't, you don't have a bucket and you stand at this deep well that our father Jacob gave us. You know, it's, it's really, I mean, in a way it's kind of a little dig that we're children of Abraham too. We're children of Israel, too. And are you saying you're greater than Jacob? And Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, pointing at Jacob's well, they're going to get thirsty again. But he said, I want to tell you something. I've got water to give you that if you take a drink of this, You'll never thirst again. For in fact, you get a drink of this, and you're going to get your own well down on the inside, springing up into everlasting life. Now, he's really got her attention. And she said, Sir, give me some of that water. Whatever it is you're talking about, I don't understand how you're going to get it. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand. But, but whatever it is you're talking about, 
I'm interested, all right? I'm, I'm interested. And then Jesus got a little personal. Okay, you want water? Why don't you go get your husband and uh, the two of you come up here and let me, let me get some water for both of you. Can you imagine? I mean, honestly, Brother Auburn, can, can you imagine what this woman's mind is doing in this conversation? I mean, he is just, he is just spinning her. Every time she thinks she's about got a, a grip on things, he throws her for another loop. Go get your husband and bring him up here. Well, I can see, I can see the heckles start to rise. I can see, I, I can see, you know, she's stealing herself now. She, she, um, she's trying to think of a good way to, to answer this question. So she said, "Well, um, I, I'm not married." And and Jesus just looked at her and he said, "Well, that's a good answer." You, you, you gave a good answer because you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. You're right, you're not married. You don't have a husband. Now again, you talk about her head swimming at this point. How did he know that? Where did he get that information? And then a light bulb came on. I'm starting to understand why he's talking this way and why so little of this makes sense. He's just read my life's history. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, that's an interesting thing to say because, you know, it's been 400 years since there's been a prophet. And all of a sudden, she believes there's one standing in front of her. And she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Now, before he can dig any deeper into her life, let's start the religious debate now. And that's what she does. I perceive you're a prophet. She immediately says, our fathers worship in this mountain and you say we ought to go to Jerusalem. Now, that's probably what she's been waiting on him to throw at her this whole time. And he hasn't. She's the one that brings it up. She's the one that mentions it. Not him. And, and again, Jesus didn't jump into that argument with her. This is, this is where we see the wisdom that it takes to win a soul. He says to her, the, the hour's coming, and it now is. When you're not going to worship in this mountain or at Jerusalem. He did say this, you don't really understand what you're worshiping. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, I, I do think it's, again, interesting that he didn't say, you, you worship, you know not whom. He, he didn't refer to her God as a whom, but as a what. You don't even understand. What you're worshiping is not really God. I mean, that's what he's saying to her. You've got your own God you've created here. and that's, You don't even understand that. But he, he said it without really coming out and saying it. But then he just moves on and he said, I want to tell you the hour comes and now is when true worshipers. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about this mountain. But true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And 
boy, something then really starts churning in her mind because she's never heard this kind of conversation. And she, she just leaves that topic. She doesn't go back to what hill we should be worshiping on. She's looking at him and she said, I know when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. What do you think she's really saying right now? This, this sounds like what we've been expecting when we hear people talking about Messiah. This, this, this conversation sure sounds familiar. It sounds like what I've heard since I was a little girl that somebody was on their way that was going to tell us all things. And since I've been here, you've told me a whole lot of things that I, I, I never imagined I would hear from someone that didn't really know me. I think that it was her invitation to him to introduce himself. And he did. He said, I that speak to thee am he. That's what you're wanting to know. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Yes, I'm the one you're looking for. Now, now, look, I, I've, I've led you to this point to just show you. If you're looking in, in John chapter 4, this is what's interesting. You get then to verse 27, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Now, now think about it. This is why I'm confirming to you everything I said. They didn't want to talk to the Samaritans. They refused to talk to the Samaritans. And they walk up and here he is talking to a Samaritan. But no man... Can I insert a word here? I'm not adding to or taking away. I'm just trying to give you my flavor of what I think is going on. I think we could rightfully say, yet no man dared say, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Nobody did say it. I think they didn't dare say it. I think they stepped into that moment and recognized there's something going on here. I can't figure this out. This goes against everything that we've ever... Look, you understand, it wasn't just the woman that he was shaking their world. In this moment, he was shaking the world of his own disciples. By talking to somebody they didn't want to talk to. By dealing with somebody they didn't want to deal with. But they didn't dare ask him, they didn't dare ask him. They just looked and wondered. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like. You know, I've, I've probably even when I was young, I said, man, I'd love to have been there. I'd love to have been one of the disciples. I'd love to have been in on that. But you better stop and think about this now. How many times, how many times did he read their thoughts? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to spend all those hours with a man that can read what's going on in your mind at any given moment? See, some of you are glad I can't read your mind right now because you're, you're, you're thinking, man, I wish he'd hurry up. Oh, it's different, but it's what I feel. It's what I feel. Now look. So, so they don't dare ask what's going on here. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. The very reason she had come to the well in the first place. And she came at noon, the hottest time of the day she's there she made this trek for the purpose of drawing water but now all of a sudden something has got her so shook up 
that she just leaves the water pot behind. And she goes running back to the city. And she says to the men, come. Oh, I love this. Do you see that this woman is doing what his own disciples refused to do? This is why I said to you, he went there expecting to have a revival in Sychar of Samaria. He went there with the intent, we're going to have revival there. Something's going to happen there. And he sent his disciples into the city and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They went and bought meat. They bought bread. They took care of the necessities. They dotted the I's. They crossed the T's. But they missed the spirit of what he was doing. I hope you're hearing me tonight. But she didn't. She didn't miss it. She hadn't spent all this time with him. She hadn't been around him all this time. Isn't that kind of like a new convert? Isn't that kind of the way it works in a church? You get these seasoned saints who know how to live for God and you preach and preach and preach outreach and they say amen, but you let a new convert come in and you don't have to preach outreach. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, I've watched it time and time again. I don't care the age. They get a good dose of the Holy Ghost. The first thing they want to do is call somebody, tell somebody. They want to share the news. Because that's what the Holy Ghost comes for. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. That's why it comes. That's, that's why it comes. So you get a good dose of the Holy Ghost and nobody's got to beg you to reach out to the lost. Nobody's got to command you to go reach out to the lost. Here is this woman. She don't even have the Holy Ghost. She's just stirred up about what she's seen and felt. And she immediately goes back to the city. Now look, why did she come at noon? Do you know why? Noon is not the time to draw water. Do you know why she was there at noon? Because nobody else is going to be there. She could sneak up there privately. She knew what everybody thought of her. She's ashamed of her life. She's embarrassed by the way she's lived. She doesn't want to have to talk to anybody or deal with anybody. She came to do it secretly. But now there's no secret. Now she leaves the water pot behind and goes running back and says to the men of the city, come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? I found him. I found the Messiah. We've been talking about him all our lives, but he's here and he's right here. He's at our well. He's just up the hill. Come on, men. We gotta go see what's going on up there. Now, you might say, well, who would listen to a woman like that? Well, evidently, with the kind of excitement and passion she had, evidently everybody. Still got your Bible open? Verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. There's none of them saying, well, who does she think she is? They're so stirred up about the excitement in this woman's eyes, they're so stirred up by the things she's telling them. I don't know how she got this big a crowd. I mean, except that the Bible says, she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. I mean, she's admitting to them, yeah, I'm wrong. Yes, I'm no good for nothing. But I met a man, he doesn't even know me, and yet he knows everything about me. I'm telling you, this is Christ. This is the Messiah. Come, 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 and see him for yourself. And they came. Oh, 
in the meanwhile, verse 31 says, his disciples are still just focused on the task at hand. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. Now, why are they saying that? Got any ideas? Why are they so, so, so set on him eating right now? Do you imagine it's because they're saying, let's get out of here. I did what you, we did what you asked us to do. We went and bought food. Now, let's go. You've had time to sit and rest. Let's get out of here. Come on, master, eat. Obviously, he's not interested in eating right then. And he looked at them and said, I've got meat to eat that you know not of. Huh? They're as confused as she was. I'll tell you the truth. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. I'm telling you the truth. His disciples... His disciples start saying to one another, Have any man brought him off to eat? What is he talking about? He sent us into town to deal with these dirty Samaritans, to go give our money to filthy Samaritans. And somebody snuck him some food while we were gone. And we wasted our time. That's what they're thinking. That's what's in their mind. And Jesus said unto them, My meat. This is what I eat. This is what sustains me. It's not about eating a lamb sandwich. Lamb and cheese. Well, they didn't eat ham. We can't, you know. He said, I'll tell you what it is that sustains me. It's not, it's not the meat you just went and bought. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Now look at this. And to finish his work. Don't you think that was just a little bit of a dig? I don't know that they understood it right away, but I think he's saying to them, all right, I sent you into town, told you to buy food, but you didn't finish the work. You just did what you had to do to get by. But I'm not here to just get by. I'm here to finish the work that I was sent to do. And then, and then, verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Now think about this, church. Think about it in light of what's going on. That just kind of seems out in left field. Harvest field. Anyhow. It, 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 I mean, really, one minute he's talking about the meat of doing the will of his father, and the next thing he says is, don't you say there's yet four months and then comes the harvest? Now, why would he mention that? Could it be? Because he sent them into Sychar to have a harvest. But their mind is on, let's get out of Samaria, let's get back to one of the cities of Judea, and we'll have revival when we get there. See, there's another time for us to have a harvest. It, it's, it's still down the road. It's, it's, it's a ways off. We can't have revival in this condition. We can't have revival in this place. I feel like preaching a little bit here tonight. And you've got it in your mind that we can't have 
harvest today. We got to wait four more months and then we can have harvest. But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Now think about this. What was going on before this conversation started? What did we just read? The woman had gone and told the men of the city, come, and the men of the city are coming. And he's standing here at the well, and he said, your mind is on a distant revival, and I'm telling you, look up. Come on, guys, look up. I want you to look right down that hill right there. I want you to know it's not a harvest in some other city of Judea. I'm telling you right now, look at the fields. They're white right now. There are hungry souls headed our way. Souls you had an opportunity to deal with. Souls you just spent your money on. Souls you just had a chance to talk to and didn't. And I'm telling you, it's because your eyes are on a distant harvest. But I'm here knowing right now's the time. This is the moment. This is harvest time. It's here now. Look at what's here. He that reapeth receiveth wages, gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. Now look, verse 38, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. I, I sent you to reap. But somebody else labored. And in spite of that, you're still about to enter into their labors. You're about to enjoy the fruit of what you didn't even sow. But you could have. And you should have. Now, if you don't think that's what he's saying, let's just keep reading in context, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. These disciples who wanted to get in that city and get back out. These disciples that once they had the food in their hand, say, Master, eat, eat, eat. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at what is coming right now. There's a harvest. And rather than just eat and get out of here, we're going to stick around for a couple days. We got some work to do. I came to finish the will of my Father. And verse 41 says, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, but we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You hear me? I'm not reading where they're saying that anywhere in Judea. They love his miracles. They love his teaching. But I'm not finding where there's a whole city in Judea saying, this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. But out here in Samaria, where the disciples didn't even want to be, there was a revival waiting on them, an unexpected revival. Amen. A revival that went beyond anything they could have imagined. A whole city converted in two days' time. How do you think, how do you think the great revival of Acts 8 really took place? Don't you imagine? It was from these very seeds. There were still people in Samaria that remembered him coming and taking time for them. 
and they believed he was the Christ. And that's why the Bible says that they believed Philip when he preached Christ unto them. They believed Philip when he preached Christ unto them. Why? Because Christ had been there. They'd seen it for themselves. Listen to me. All of those other disciples. Dear God. And you know who two of the disciples were that had gone into town, thrown their money down, didn't want to talk to them? You know who two of them were? The same two that when Philip got down there and started preaching and they believed, they finally ended up sending for Peter and John. This was not unfamiliar territory for Peter and John. And you know what they were doing, Brother Goff? They were, re- they were reaping off of the labors of another man. They were enjoying the fruit from seeds they didn't even plant. Everything Jesus said that day came to pass exactly like he said it was going to come to pass. Look, my my whole point is this. He made that appointment. He knew where she was. It may not have been where they thought they should be, but he knew where she was. And she was the key to a great revival. And if we can get in tune with the Spirit, we may be down at Lowe's, we may be at Walmart, we may be somewhere else and thinking, oh God, I can't wait to get back to church and God's tapping on your shoulder saying, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. Oh, Jesus, that's the way he works. If we can get in tune with the Spirit and find out when God's ready, if we can just lift up our eyes and see there's a harvest field. You know, the same thing happened in Mark chapter 5, and I'm not going to take time to go through all the details, but he's having great revival. Miracles are happening and throngs are coming after him. He gets the disciples and gets in a boat and said, we're going across the Sea of Galilee. Lord, look at the crowds. Look at the revival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. But I got to go somewhere. You know what he did? Do you know what he did? Brother Jaheim, do you know what he did? When he left that revival and got in that boat, you know where he went? You know where he ended up? He made, he made one nonstop trip, although it came pretty close to stopping because they got hit by a storm, which the Bible really literally calls a, a, a typhoon. I mean, that's, that's in the original. It's the idea. And this is in the middle of a sea, a small sea. They don't have typhoons in the middle of a sea. And the devil evidently stirred it up. But he just spoke peace be still and it all went away because he had an appointment. He had somebody waiting on him. And when they got out of that boat, here comes a man out of the tombs. Now listen to me, listen to me. You read it for yourself. He cast the demons out of that man and turned around and got back in the boat. He went there for one reason, because of one man. But do you understand what happened to that one man? That one man, I mentioned this the other night, that one man came along and said, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, no, I got a bigger job for you to do. I want you to go back and tell your friends what great things God's done for you. And here's the part I didn't mention then, but the Bible says he went back and began to publish in Decapolis. That word publish is the Greek word keruso. It really means to preach. He went back and began to preach. And Decapolis, polis, is the Greek word for city. Deca is ten. Decapolis was a ten city region. It was a metro area. 
And the Bible says that that man who was possessed with devils became a preacher to that metropolitan area and he went around to every one of those 10 cities preaching to them, amen, about a God that set him free from demonic possession. I'm here to tell you, Jesus made one trip across the sea. He fought a storm to get there, but he had an appointment because there's one soul over there that's hungry and the time is now. The field is ripe. The harvest is there, and he's got to make that stop. Let's stand, let's stand. Musicians come. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I felt such a stir in this morning in prayer. I just believe, I believe with all my heart that God is stirring people right now. He's stirring people right now. He is stirring people right now. I don't want to be like the disciples and just run in, throw my money down, forget about them and run on. I I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to be the case in my life. I want to find that woman at the well. I want to find that demoniac of Gadara. I want to find that one soul. Hey, somebody, let me just tell you what I just felt. Somebody says, oh, but you don't understand the storm I'm in. Oh, you say you're in a storm? Do you remember what Jesus had to go through to get to that demoniac? You think maybe God's got you in this storm right now waiting to show you his glory and the devil has brought this thing, amen, to try to stop you because on the other side of this storm there's a key to revival. There's a preacher. Lord, I feel this right now. On the other side of this storm there's a preacher that's going to go throughout this metropolitan area and he's going to preach to everybody about what God has done in his life. He may not be a preacher right now. He may not be filling a pulpit right now. But you know, he wasn't when Jesus met the demoniac either. I remember what that man was like when Jesus met him. Living in a graveyard. Cutting himself. Running around naked. We hold this apostolology. We don't just condemn him. Not be addressed well enough. They don't want to talk to him. Look at that harlot. Look at the way she's dressed. Look at that dope addict. Look at that alcoholic slobbering all over himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. Oh, but we don't know. But what that man slobbering all over himself may be the next preacher to Decapolis. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. But what that harlot may be the next Mary Magdalene. Come on somebody, I'm preaching to this church. I feel what I'm saying. There's a harvest out there. We just gotta lift up our eyes. We just gotta lift up our eyes. Quit saying four months, four months, four months. Quit saying when COVID's over. Right now. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're ripe. Already the harvest. I've said it before and I say again. I don't find anywhere in the scripture. Jesus ever told us or even asked us to pray for a revival. But he did say pray that there be laborers. 
praise the devil that he even told a parable going out third hour sixth hour ninth hour the eleventh hour he's back out there again what would possess a man to be out there with only one hour left and trying to hire people to work why would he do that only one hour left I can figure is he said we're not going to get this done with the number of workers I got right now he's looking at the field and the harvest is greater than the number of laborers available to reap it so he goes back to the marketplace just one hour left and he said you just get out there and work he didn't even take time to negotiate a contract he just said get out there and work just get out there and work Get out there and work. He didn't train them. He didn't have time to train them. He didn't put them through soul winning classes. He didn't show them how to run a combine. He just said, get out there and work. We got to do something. We got to reap as much of this as we can in this last hour. And that's kind of what I'm feeling here on my, my spirit tonight, church. We got to reach everybody we can. Quit saying, I don't know how. I don't think I can. I need some classes. I need No, 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 no. Get out there and reap. Just get out there and reap. Get out there and reap. You might make some mistakes, but so what? God knows how to work around our mistakes. He didn't say pray that there'd be trained laborers. He just said pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send laborers, trained and untrained, intelligent and ignorant, eloquent and mute. I just need laborers. That's all I need. I just need laborers. I just need somebody willing to work may not understand how you may not think you got the strength but I'm just telling you we only got an hour we only got an hour and there's a whole lot of work to do in this last hour let's get in there and do it let's get in there and do it come on somebody let's do it let's do it let's do it everywhere you go do it everyone you meet do it look for an opportunity I gotta quit. I gotta quit. I told Brother Goff this morning. There, there's been two people that have been on my heart. And I didn't think I had a way to get a hold of, of those two. They've been on my heart. I've been praying for them. And uh, I got my phone out and I was trying to find an old email. I'm a pack rat. I don't I don't I don't throw anything away. I don't delete emails. I don't delete text messages. And I don't apologize for it because I'd have to be sorry to apologize and I'm not sorry I'd do it if I was sorry I'd quit doing it so I'm going through trying to find this email I'm looking I gotta have this email I need this email and uh, it was it, I knew it was from a couple years ago wasn't sure the exact date but I knew it was probably about two years I really needed some information that I needed to have couldn't find anywhere else. I said, I know it's in that email. So I'm looking at that email. And all of a sudden, I look, run across an email and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't know I had this email address. And it was, it was one of those two individuals that I've been praying for and thinking about and didn't think I had any way of contacting them. And then I remembered there was a situation that came up. I had to get something to them. They gave me their email address. I sent it over to them, forgot all about it. And then I'm saying, thank God I'm a pack rat. Because now I got an email address. That's a start. Well, hallelujah. So the other one, I got two of them on my heart. So the other one, you know, they, they, all this stuff, they're knocking people off every kind of platform, social platform. So I'm trying just about any of them I hear that I feel like I can try. So I tried this one called Telegram, and I, I, I had it. I, I wasn't even on Telegram, I was doing something else, and all of a sudden I got this notification. His name popped up. Somebody had just joined Telegram. And it was the other guy I've been thinking about and praying for. And, 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 and it just came up a notification. He had just joined. And I said, well, lo and behold, I got a way to contact him now. And I did. 
I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you. The will of God starts out impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. Oh, God help us. Look, if we'll just make ourselves available, God will help us. He wants this done more than we do. If we'll just make ourselves available, He can point us to the harvest. He can tell us exactly who He's dealing with, and then He can make a way for us to find Him. I saw it happen in Africa. I had a man, I'm telling you, he was in one of my seminars and he was so moved. And I lost touch with him. I couldn't get him. I tried. I, I had a phone number. It wasn't going through. I wasn't getting it. And, and one of the last trips we made uh, to, to Bulawayo, my wife and I walked in the store and I saw a man walk by and I said, wait a minute. What's he doing here? Is that him? And I thought, no, it can't be. Came he lives too far from here. That wouldn't be him. I kept looking. I said, man, it looks like We finally we got ready to leave. And, and uh, I saw him again. He had left. He came back. And he's kind of high and leaving. And I, I told my wife, I said, that's him. I'm sure that's him. So this time I went chase him now and before I could say anything he called me by name and it was him and he had moved to that area I had no idea I'm just telling you church God's dealing with somebody God will make a way if we'll be sensitive he'll make a way if we'll be sensitive. We gotta quit. Why don't you come, let's let's come around the front. Oh Lord, it's later than I thought. Let's come around the front. I want us to make another commitment to God. I want you to ask.